Hey, this is Joe Bakamotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Look, I know that cancer changes the way you look at things, the way you think about the future, even the way you see yourself. But even when things are tough, there is still the light at the end of the tunnel. You can make it through and, and have the life that you want despite cancer. And look, that's what I'm talking about today with my new friend, Jim Adams. Jim's had this incredible journey, but he's made it through, and now he has an opportunity to reflect on this experience. And it's fantastic because he now has the life that he wants, where he is able to still to help out so many others and spread the message of hope to those of us who are dealing with cancer. Jim, I'm just I'm super excited to be talking to you because I found your podcast and it just really speaks to me because you know this this is where I'm from. So Jim, I really want to first of all really start with life with your life before cancer. Tell me, what was that like? Let's see, what what was it like? Uh, well, I was diagnosed. It was back in 1991, and I I had a real rare form of testicular cancer. It was called non-seminoma germ cell testicular cancer. So I didn't have. Um, it wasn't in my testes. It was actually a tumor growing from the back of my abdomen. Wow. The way it's been explained to me is. Um, when you're in the first trimester, there's what's called a germ cell that travels down your spine and one deposits in each testy. Well, for some reason, um, one didn't make it all the way down and it didn't deposit in one of my testes. And it, for some reason at 25, it just started growing from the back of my abdomen. Uh, so unlike a lot of other people uh, who you know are not feeling sick, I, I ended up um, losing weight. I, I got misdiagnosed a number of times. I had one doctor tell me that he thought I had chlamydia and I needed to share with my girlfriend at the time, which, which was crazy because I didn't have chlamydia. And at one point I could actually feel the, the tumor in my abdomen. I could actually push into my stomach and I could feel there's something in there. Something's not right. So went into the emergency room and then, you know, they started doing testing and checked me in and they did test after test after test, you know, biopsies, they did colonoscopy, they did, uh, you know, down your throat, I forget what that's called. Um, they couldn't figure out what it was, so they ended up doing exploratory surgery. And then the way it's described is this tumor has what's almost like a yolk sac on it, you know. So once they opened me up, they were able to figure out that it was it was germ cell. Uh, the funny thing is, is the doctor came walking in and he said, you know, we could have done a pregnancy test because my kind of cancer, it will, it'll be positive on a pregnancy test. So he said, you know, if we had just given you a pregnancy test, we wouldn't have had to have exploratory surgery. So <laughs> they, yeah. So they stapled me up and started me on chemotherapy right away because I had, at the time I had complete intestinal blockage too. So I, you know, nothing was coming out. So they started me on chemotherapy and I had, um, I think it was five rounds of chemo and they, they always told me there would be, you know, it would be chemotherapy. And then at the end there would be another surgery. So I had five rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and then at, at the end I had another surgery, which, you know, even to this day, I, I on occasion go see that doctor. He's only done one or two 
uh, like what, what he did with me, the surgery started at, um, it's like six 30 in the morning and didn't finish till seven o'clock at night. They said the doctor looked worse than I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's rough, Jim. Yeah. That was yeah. Crazy. So it was, it was pretty rough beginning, you know, in the sense of when you're, you know, with chemotherapy, it, it makes you feel like crap, you know, so, and having had an abdominal surgery and, you know, throwing up was, was no easy task. It was a painful task, you know, so at that point we, we had the surgery, they, and the surgery was, um, I think there were eight or nine doctors in there when I had it because the tumors, it was bilobal. So there were two tumors the size of melons and they were wrapped around my aorta sitting on one of the kidneys. So I was at risk for losing a kidney. So yeah. I had to have a kidney specialist. I had to have a heart doctor. I, you know, it, I still remember going in there and, you know, seeing all these doctors. Of course, they had me on on happy juice. I'm sure you've had that happy juice or whatever that medication. <laughs> You're not so nervous, but you know, so with the surgery, it, it, um, they were able to remove the tumor and it was really successful. That surgery was probably more successful than the, than the exploratory. Um, they were able to get the whole tumor when they dissected the tumor though, they did find some more active cancer. So at that point, the doctors in Atlanta wanted me to have another round of chemo. But at that time, I was having no, severe numbness in my hands and feet. And potentially another round would have put me in a wheelchair. Um, so we, we found that there's, for most types of cancer, and especially for testicular, there's doctors who do research. We found the foremost doctor in Indianapolis. So we drove to him or meet with him, and he, he shared not not to have any more chemo. I'm so toxic as it is that, you know, that I didn't need it. And that, that's how it ended back then. Then it was just a waiting game. It was, and I'm sure you went through it too, I, you know, every, every other week testing, you know, scans and blood tests. And then it became once a month and every other month and every three months and every six months. And then five years out, they, told me I didn't need to come back, but I would come back typically every other year for another 10, 15 years. Now, I haven't been back to the oncology in about two and a half years, but every once in a while, I'll go back and get the blood work and stuff just for, you know, just to keep myself not nervous or not, you know, thinking about it. Because now I think in some of your um, podcasts, it, it's mentioned, you know, whenever you have an ache or pain, you sometimes, or I'll sometimes jump to conclusions that, oh God, it's coming back, you know, what's, what's going on. So, but it's been, um, it was 1991. So it's 28 years since. Wow. Um, yeah. Since I went through that. That's an amazing journey you've had. So, and do you remember, I want to just go back for a second because you had such a full on experience and, but you remember what, what it was like, what was going through your head? Like, you know, you've, they've opened you up and now they're telling you you've got cancer. What was that moment like? Well, it, it just kind of brought everything to a standstill. You know, when I was diagnosed, there was uh, a special lady at the hospital I was at. Her name was Betty Castellani. And while I was in the hospital, she came to visit and she ran the support group. You know, so she invited me down to actually invited the whole support group to visit me in the hospital room. So they they all came in and sat down and shared their stories. And that was pretty quickly. So it made a big difference because hearing the stories of other people and seeing that they were doing well and they were healthy. Um, and that's the support group I've been involved with for, 
you know, since the beginning, some, uh, some of the same people I've been interviewing on my podcast, you know, so there was, there was a lot of fear. There was, um, I kind of just lived in the moment though. I mean, I remember Betty sharing with me that she thought I was doing really well because I was able to, you know, kind of stay in the moment, not, not worry too much about my future or, you know, what, would I be able to have kids? Would I not be able to have kids? I mean, they, when I was going through the uh, chemotherapy, the doctor came in and, you know, wanted me to give a sample to be able to, you know, to put some sperm away. And there was no way I could do that at that time, not, not after having, you know, um, abdominal surgery. So, um, you know, and then we actually had some hope and we thought, you know, that I could have kids. And then we found out that I couldn't because of a special test I had. They, did a radioactive test. I, we actually went through five rounds of, uh, of uh, what do you call it? Um, IVF. Yeah. IDF. And then they, at the end, they did the test and uh, determined that my sperm wasn't healthy. It was, it, it had been impacted from the chemotherapy. So, but we do have um, a little boy. Well, he's not little anymore. He's 15, but we adopted uh, and he's 15. So he, he keeps us busy. Um, Corinne, it's so know, great to hear that, man. Yeah. So adoption has been wonderful when we figured out, well, we found out my wife had issues too. And, you know, at that point it would be donor egg, donor sperm. And so we decided to adopt and that's worked out really well. So, but back, I'll get back to what you, what you asked it, it's a, at that moment, it was just a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, w- what's going on. And, you know, it was just a tough time to go through. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, you're, you're talking about your support group. And I've heard that on some of your podcasts as well. I think that's so incredibly powerful. Just, um, I think like you mentioned, it's having people there who've been through it, who know what mm-hmm. it's like and, and like kind of looking at them going, I can be that way. That's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we had, the group still gets together. They meet every other Monday night, but we, there's like a hundred people in it. And yeah, and we, we would talk about life and, you know, they all actually, the, the woman I was talking about, Betty Castellani actually married my wife and I and baptized my wife and son. Wow. You know, we would get together, we would have, you know, fun trips together. Uh, we would probably get together four or five times a year, you know, for special events, you know, Christmas parties or traveling or trips, things like that. So it, the support group made a big difference, but it was, it wasn't about, it was about living and enjoying life and not fearing what's coming or, you know, looking back in the past, it was a lot of help around those, those things, you know, kind of that being in the moment, you know, not, not trying to think about what, what the future would bring. And, you know, now being out of it so many years, it's, uh, not being self-employed, I, I get my own health insurance and those kinds of things, which, in the U.S. is kind of crazy these days, but you know I've I've been self-employed since 2002, so it's 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 worked wow. out pretty well. And that was one of my fears at first was you know would I ever ever be able to work on my own, having gone through cancer? You know would would I be required to work someplace where I you know I could get coverage or insurance? Went off on a tangent a little bit. <laughs> no, no, that's great, and that's so interesting. So I'm really. Happy to hear that he had such an amazing support through this, uh, through the support group, uh, people yep. that you met face to face. So, what was it like, you know, with with your family, with with your friends, with people in your life? Did they support you? And I guess did they support you in the way that you wanted to be supported? Yeah, they they did. Um, my dad, I probably had to 
tell him to slow down a little bit. He, uh, I'd probably for the first 20 days, I was in the hospital for, for probably around 20 days and he was there with me every day. There was times I'd have to say, you know, leave me alone or don't ask me questions. <laughs> we, we would end up watching sports, which would make it easier because, you know, he wouldn't be focused on me or asking questions, but yeah, he was, he was helpful. I had some friends, you know, who came and visited me when I was in the hospital and that was, that was neat. Um, a lot of times they would come. The, the doctor who did the surgeries, uh, that last surgery was uh, quite young at the time. So he'd be sitting in the room and they wouldn't even know he's the doctor. <laughs> he'd be sitting in there with a polo and he's be hanging out. And, you know, so yeah, I, I had a lot of support. And, you know, with losing my hair and everything else, it was, uh, there were aspects where I didn't run into a whole lot of issues with friends would, you know, would avoid me. But, you know, I would get together and go out with friends from different times. I even had some weird things when I was bald. I remember a woman putting her hand up over my head when it was bald, you know, saying, wanting to feel it and stuff. And even had some funny humor. I remember one time I was, because I have a lot of hair. I don't, you probably can't tell, but I'm, I've got a lot of hair on my body. And I was sitting getting my chemotherapy and I, I said, oh, you know, I'll never get bald. And I'm sitting there bald as, you know, as anything. <laughs> I started laughing. So I also had a lot of good nurses and a lot of, you know, I, I got a lot of help. I think we were we were lucky at that time. The Cab Medical Center in Atlanta was was considered one of the best places to go through what I went through. You know, so my family gave me a lot of support. My friends gave me a fair amount of support, you know, and actually at the time I was working on my master's degree. So I had to cancel all my classes and they were really supportive, too. And then I was able to just pick them all back up the next semester and finish my studies you know so it was it was kind of like the worst of times and the best of times in some ways because it, it did change my whole focus that you know it's not all about money and it's not all about things it's you know it really is about relationships and being with people and being in these kind of support groups yeah exactly good on you jim and, and i love how you said that you were like, you know, being in the moment and, you know, just, you know, not thinking about the future too much. So is that something you had to work on or did that kind of come naturally to you? I think with Betty, who ran that, the support group, she worked with me a lot. She came back every day and she, you know, she'd have me kind of read specific books and, you know, talk a lot and, Cause I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So she, she worked on that day, day in and day out. I think being in the moment has always <clears throat> been easier for me than some people. I mean, I'm, I was okay with, with sitting there watching movies or watching, you know, old shows like Gilligan's Island or whatever it might be. So I was able to, to do that. And, but then her being there and, and helping me through it, I think it made a big difference. And then the other people in the support group, so I constantly had people, I actually had to tell people to give me a break. You know, the nurses suggested put, putting something on the door, you know, <laughs> to, to let people know, hey, I need a break for two or three hours just to be left alone so, so I could rest. And, you know, and the other thing, they, I wasn't always a good patient. Um, you know, they would tell me not to get out of bed and sure, you know, I, I didn't want someone coming in to help me use the restroom. So somehow they must have known I got I'd get out of bed because I'd be in the restroom and sure enough the nurse would show up what are you doing <laughs> um but yeah they they told me that I wouldn't be walking that quickly but I think within 
Now they had me up and walking after both surgeries the next day. And then say, they said I'd be lucky to, to be walking a half a mile within a couple of weeks. And I think within three or four days, I was walking a half a mile, kind of going in circles around the, the floor, you know, because just trying to stay busy and trying to get out of there as quickly as I, as I could, you know, because I think getting out of the hospital was, was key. And then the chemotherapy was, was tough. I mean, it, I remember a couple of instances, I don't know if you, if you had chemo or you had radiation, but I had a couple of instances where, wow, I'm feeling a lot better. I think I'll go, I'll go get something to eat. I, you know, I love pancakes. So we would, I'd go get pancakes and I was in the restaurant at about 10 or 12 bites. And I was like, oh man, the nausea just hit me. I had to bolt it, bolt out of the restaurant and take care of business and had a couple of instances like that. You know, the chemotherapy was, was pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's, um, I went through that experience as well, just kind of pushing yourself a little too much. If you get a little overconfident and for me, it was also like, I remember going for, for a walk and I was, I think I was on my third round or something. I was like, Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'll go for this walk or like to this little garden around the hospital. And I remember just feeling so whacked out. I was just going, how do I make it back? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think those moments, yeah. Or just having people over, I think like you mentioned, right? Like where, you know, I would get really tired by, you know, by the time it would be 7 PM or 8 PM and I'd be having someone over and I'd be really not feeling like talking to them. I just really feel like just having some rest. So yeah, I think it's so important to really not to push yourself too much in terms of your energy levels, right? Like just being kind of taking it easy. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So um, one thing you mentioned is that, you know, it's just cancer really changed the way you look at life, you know, it changed your priorities, things that are important to you, things that you really care about. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it. it at the time I was, I guess, real focused on, you know, making more money and working, you know, almost working too much. And it changed me in the sense that, you know, you realize that relationships are more important, time with others. And I've actually, over the last, since I've gone to work for myself, I, I typically will work like six months and then, you know, in a contract and I'll take some time off and, and work less and you know so finding time for family for friends you know going on vacations uh even if it's just going to the beach or up to the mountains um you know just trying to really slow down and and not be in a rush and not always be thinking about what's what's going to happen in the future you know or if i'll get sick in the future just kind of living for the moment you know um but realizing you know how precious those moments are you know so just trying to make better decisions, make better choices, you know, do what I want to do, but, you know, not do the things I don't want to do or take the jobs I don't want to take. Of course, that's more difficult than it sounds, you know, but it, it, I guess, small changes over time, you know, and, and trying to stay focused and I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but, you know, and it being so many years, it's, I think I was better at it early on. I, I went, you know, the first 10 or 15 years after the cancer, I was more involved in the support group. Then I kind of lost, lost track. And now in the last two or three years, I'm trying to get more involved and want to, you know, get back to the, some of those things I was learning before. So that, that's about it. I don't know if I really answered your question or. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And so, uh, you know, like now that you look back on it, because you're um, in a great position, you know, all of this stuff is behind you and you live in your life the way you want to live your life. Has your perspective on things and your experience, has that changed over time? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's changed quite a bit. I mean, recently, it's, it's, you know, getting back into more of a healthy spiritual environment, you know, and then realizing that, you know, it's not religion and spirituality. They're really supposed to be the same thing. And then also bringing in, you know, science with spirituality and religion. I'm a real fan of Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff or listened to any of his stuff, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how spirituality and religion are kind of coming together with science and understanding that, you know, it's those spaces that we can't understand, you know, either when we go really small, like in macrobiology, or go really large when we're looking at the cosmos, that there's so much more there that we don't understand. And now science is kind of giving new hope to, to things that we didn't have a whole lot of hope with before. You know, one that I talk about on my site that I also like to read and I like to watch his stuff is Bruce Lipton with his biology of belief. I don't know if you've looked at any of that, but he's he does a lot of uh, talks on, you know, the relationship of of how we feel and who we are and how we interact with our environment is so key to our health. And he actually talks about, too, that, you know, that there is something with cancer in relation to us being disconnected from spirituality, being disconnected from, you know, our environment and relationships that can make a difference both in getting cancer and then also recovery from it. You know, so I I feel it early on, it was I was just kind of going, going along. And then now in the last four or five years, digging deeper into stuff like meditation and, you know, spirituality. And those, those things have kind of brought me back to wanting to help, you know, people who have been diagnosed with cancer recently. I've also noticed so many more people being diagnosed. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but it, it seems like every day I hear someone else being diagnosed with cancer. Um, you know, so yeah, I kind of want to help others and help, help them to, to deal with it and understand that there's, there's a lot of hope, you know, it's, there's a huge chance, you know, in my cancer support group, I've seen people who have been given very small chance of survival who have done really well. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen people who have cancers that are very curable that pass away after a year or two. And, and you know, the only thing that I've noticed with those individuals is, is you know, how they're taking care of themselves, how they're, are they doing things like spirituality and, and meditation and um, are they in good relationships? Are they communicating with others? Um, it, it really does make a big difference. So, Well, that's such a great point you make. And, and also I just want to pick up on that you brought up the word hope. And that's, that's obviously part of you know, the name of your podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about um, how did that come about? And why is that important to you and, you know, and the title as well? Um, in the cancer support group I was a part of, or I'm still a part of, every year we would do a fundraiser. It was called the Hope Tree. And then we would also, in our group, talk about, you know, how hope was so critical to, to your success or to your survival. You know, so those teachings from Betty many years ago and then getting together with some of the, my other cancer support 
<clears throat> people and realizing a lot of them, you know, at the time when I was going through it, I was 25 and a lot of them were in their 40s and 50s. So now they're they're in their 70s and some even in approaching 80. So I realized my time to do these interviews with them was was limited. So I wanted to to kind of share their stories with others. And then it kind of grew from that. Then, I, you know, I decided to look a little deeper, you know, about what can make a difference, what can give people hope to realize it's so much more than just dealing with the cancer. You know, your, your ability to survive the cancer relates not just to your treatment, but also having faith in your treatment, you know, so it's, it's a combination of both. And then, you know, hearing other stories and realizing, wow, this other person who's, you know, had four or five, any number of years of survival, you know, with cancer and now is living beyond cancer and actually living an even happier life than before cancer. A lot of the people in my cancer support group, you know, they made significant changes in their lives. I was only 25, but several of the other people, you know, they ended marriages that were unhealthy. Um, they changed careers. They one one family who became real close to another family in the cancer support group. Well, the father actually passed away, and this other family actually adopted his children. They became adoptive grandparents. You know, kind of more entitled than in, in by law. You know, but they've been involved with with the little girl who's not a little girl anymore. She's in her mid twenties. That's the other thing that's amazing is I remember people bringing the, their kids to these cancer support meetings, and you know, and the kids were three, four, five years old. You know, and now, now hearing the stories that wow, you know, one Bobby is actually in Germany, twenty eight. You know, and it it's just just kind of amazing that you know, what we've gone through. And, you know, I feel like if there were support groups like that everywhere, the, the survival rate of cancer would be going through the roof. And, you know, and then also kind of, I want to find a way to wake people up at a younger age too. There's, you know, I, I think if we live healthier lives and it, it, it's important what we eat, it's important, you know, having relationships, um, you know, all, all these different things. And it, and it can make a difference, one, not getting cancer in the first place, and then also, you know, recovering quicker from cancer and also never getting a recurrence, you know, so that that's where the finding hope. It's just if you have hope, then I feel like, you know, things can grow out of that hope um, and it can get you up in the morning and, and keep you from getting down and then, you know, depressed or in the blues. Yeah, that's fantastic, Jim. I think it's that's really powerful, you know, talking about finding hope and believing in your treatment and, you know, your specialist, your medical team, but also, you know, finding uh, the right support, whether that's, you know, the support uh, from a support group, whether that's in person or online, or maybe that's uh, also just connecting with the people already in your life and also making changes because I'm, I'm so with you that, you know, sometimes we just need to make changes and, and things take on a different significance. And I love how you said that really sometimes um, as you move on kind of beyond cancer, that sometimes you look at life and it's kind of better than it ever was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that's such a key thing to really move along with your life and to see people like that and to hear those stories. That's what it's about, uh, you know, connecting that up and thinking, yeah, I, I can, I want to be like that. I can make it through. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. 
Well, Jim, thanks so much for your time and for your perspective. I've really loved hearing you and um, I'm looking forward to both your podcast and I hope that there's going to be so many more people tuning in and listening to Finding Hope. Well, thank you, Joe. I, I appreciate it. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. Um, you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer. So, uh, so she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times, um, when you go through cancer, when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling, you're on this roller coaster of emotions and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it. And there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want, or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you can, don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. 
And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of Simplify Cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest, like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 